Shabbat Shalom, everybody. My name is Noel Joshua Hadley, and of course, this is the Unexpected Cosmology. I hope everyone had a good uh, fall season, the fall feast. Uh, we just finished. Uh, I, I think some of you are still actually in Sukkot, depending on your schedule, but most of us have finished it. Anyways, I hope it went well for any for everybody. And uh, tonight is not going to be your father's Bible study because we are going to be going through the book of Moses, uh, Genesis, Bereshith, but from the Paleo-Hebrew. So this is not coming from the Meseret, uh, the Hebrew uh, Masoretic or the Greek LXX or anything else. This is coming from the Paleo. I'll be talking more about that as we go forward tonight. And of course, you know, because the fall feasts have ended, traditionally we uh, what happens is, is you, you, roll back the scroll, you roll back Deuteronomy, back to Genesis, to Bereshith, and you start again. And I know what probably a lot of people think when I, I bring that up, is that they're like, oh, this is a this is a Jewish tradition. You know, this is Judaism. Actually, well, we know that the reading of the scrolls of the Torah goes way, way, way back in the Hebrew faith. And of course, when we're talking about Judaism, we're talking about uh, the rabbinical Judaism that came from the Pharisees. That's a whole nother conversation uh, of which I would like to not be a part of. Not the conversation, but, you know, rabbinical Judaism. I do not identify in any way, shape, or form with that. But we know that in uh, Acts chapter 15, Yaakov, when he's at the Jerusalem Council, he, he talks about the Goyim, the Gentiles who are coming in, and he says uh, they give a very, uh, like a, just a kind of a, a simple outline of what the new converts, uh, you know, have to participate in, you know, like, you know, no drinking of blood, that kind of stuff. Right. And uh, he, and he says the next line is he says that the, they will be hearing from Moses week after week after week. So as we go through these Torah portions uh, over the following year, and that's what I hope to dedicate myself to, or it is what I am dedicating myself to for the next year to go through these, uh, we are going to be taking part in a tradition that goes all the way back to the first century of Christianity and even beyond that throughout the Hebrew faith. Uh, another thing to point out is that when I, when I came, even if this is a quote unquote tradition, when I came over to the Torah, and what I mean by that is when I, when I recognized, when it finally occurred to me that Yahuwah has these these this heavenly law, and it's written down in the first five books of the Bible, right? And he, the Father, has these commands that He tells us to keep, and then you know we've all been lied to and told that we're not to keep those commands, that we were to disobey the commands. Uh, but when I when I realized that these commands were uh, these were the instructions in righteous living that David and the others talked about, and I just was overjoyed at this, you know, knowledge and coming to it. It was a great comfort for me because I was no longer going to Sunday churches and I didn't have a community to take part of, a physical one. It was a great comfort uh, for me to realize that there were these Torah portions that were being read all over the world uh, by people coming into the Hebrew faith and that they were all reading the same thing every week or within a week or two apart, but, you know, having the same discussions and, and so on and so forth. So it's a tradition that I love to be a part of. Uh, and it, 
Shabbat Shalom again to everybody who's showing up tonight. Now, one more thing is I just said Shabbat Shalom, and it is 7 o'clock here on the East Coast. Actually, the sun did go down. Now, there are inevitably, inevitably there are, you know, people of different persuasion of, you know, you ask the question, when does a day begin, right? Is it is it sunset to sunrise, sunset to sunset? Uh, um, I said that wrong. Sunset to sunset, sunrise to sunrise, or sunrise to sunset. And at the end of the day, I really don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. But here's what I can tell you is that right now in this realm, it is Sabbath somewhere. There are people who listen to this uh, from uh, the UK, from throughout Europe, from the Philippines, all different areas around the world. And right now they are in the Sabbath day. So that's an exciting thought that somewhere on the earth right now, it is Sabbath. Even if you're listening on the West Coast and it's still you're looking out your window and it's like, you know, bright and sunny outside. All right. So everyone who uh, is listening to this either live or anytime during the week or, you know, whenever this starts at seven o'clock and when it is over at nine o'clock, uh, I will be going over to my discord channel, the unexpected cosmology discord channel. There is a link under all of my videos. You can go down there. You can hit the link, uh, go over there, sign in. I'm there from nine. We call it the after party, nine o'clock. I'm over there to talk with everybody, um, you know, because of my very busy schedule, because I'm, uh, we are now a, a, a small time publishing company putting out new books uh, every month. New, uh, we put out a magazine every month, which I design every single one of them, not to mention, you know, all the articles I have to write, all the content I have to put out, the studies for things like this. Busy guy, right? And we're all busy with our lives, but this is a time I set aside where anybody can come in and you guys can uh, talk to me about what you want to talk about. I will listen to what you want to say. You can ask me questions and <laughs> I'll try my best to answer them. Uh, usually when people ask me questions, it's about things like uh, <laughs> things that I don't really know about. But uh, anyways, that's the time for everybody to connect. Please come over nine o'clock. Um, it's a tradition we do every single week. All right. Um, oh yeah, one more thing. Um, this, this, what I'm going to be going through tonight, of course, is the Paleo Hebrew, and this is hot off the press. This document I'm going to be showing you. It's right here in front of you. Hopefully, you can all see it. The first book of Moses or Moshe, Ambera Sheth, or uh, Genesis, and this PDF is for sale on my Patreon account. You can go there. So if you would like to follow along with your own script in front of you. You can print it out, whatever. Uh, you can always pause this video, go over there, uh, download it, read it, have it ready for uh, this video or next week or whenever. And of course, this is to help out um, Pamela, who is the translator. And the translators never really get much recognition. Uh, she does some beautiful work on the Paleo Hebrew. She is busy at work right now trying to get the entire Torah translated uh, from the Paleo Hebrew. And uh, she's trying to stay ahead of the game. So by the time we get to Exodus, she hopes to have Exodus done. And you guys know the drill, so on and so forth. At the end of the year, when we're done with this, she will have, y'all willing, uh, the whole Torah translated that she can get out into a beautiful edition book uh, with, uh, with, our, with our publishing company. So speaking of Pamela, it was probably several months ago now. And some... All within like probably one week, I had three or four different individuals approach me, either online or physically in person. And they they told me that they were looking into this idea that the 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 Elohim we know as Yahuwah, 
is actually the son of Elohim. Now, let me, I'm going to be talking more about this tonight. Uh, be, so there's no confusion. All right. Because typically we say uh, Yeshua, Yahusha, uh, or for you uh, uh, Protestants out there, Jesus, or for you, for you Greek fanboys, uh, Jesus Christos uh, is the son and that Yahuwah or Yahweh is the father, right? He's the Elohim, the God of the Old Testament. But I had several people approach me and they're like, no, I'm, I, I'm kind of rethinking some things. And I'm, I kind of think that Yahuwah or Yahweh uh, is Yahushua HaMashiach. And I'm like, what are you, what are you, are you, are you going for like this modalism, you know, thing? And they're like, no, no, no. He's, he's like, that the Yahuwah is literally the son, uh, the son of Elohim. And I was like, oh, I don't know what to make of this. And so I, I took my call with my uh, Hebrew expert, my paleo Hebrew expert, uh, Pamela. And I was like, okay, Pamela, I don't want to alarm you. But uh, there's these people out there. Because, you know, when you get like, when I get like four or five separate sources all within a week or two telling me something, I start paying attention. I'm like, there might be something to this. And I, I, um, basically got in contact with her like okay I don't want to alarm you but there's these people saying you know what I just described and she's like well that's what I believe I'm like what what she's like yeah I didn't really want to say anything because you know I didn't want to be you know you know have you think negatively of me or negatively of me or anything like that I'm like Pamela this is huge where are you getting this from you know and so if you guys recall I think it was last April I brought uh, Michael and Pamela on and they th Michael was one of the two who was looking into it uh, coincidentally and they gave their whole thing on why they believe uh, Yahuwah or um, or Yahweh, who, however you want to pronounce it, is the son of Elohim. And since that time, um, I've I've been just opening the books and looking at everything, and I'm thinking, and I, I came to the conclusion, yeah, you're right. I I am I am convinced, guys. Uh, I know this is a, a very controversial decision, but you will see as if you give this a chance, as you go through the Paleo Hebrew this year, you will see it spilled out. We're going to see some of it tonight. It's going to just lay it out there that the, the father has a name. Now, we would say in the, the Masoretic Hebrew, Elohim, but in the Paleo, it would be Allahayam. That would be the father's name, Allahayam. Is that the first time you've ever heard that? And this, of course, is where Islam probably gets Allah from. You know, there's no God but Allah, right? I mean, you talk about controlled opposition. It's really crazy. I've been hearing this my whole life. You know, there's no God but Allah. And yet Allah is comes from Allah Hayyam, all right? And I'm going to give you guys the son's name in just a minute. Well, actually, why not just do it now? Uh, the son's name would be pronounced, uh, I'll do it short, I'll do it kind of phonetically first, all right? And we're going to practice this together. It would be Yahuwah, Yahuwah, all right? And this is where we get, where you hear me say all the time, Yahuwah. So Yahuwah, <laughs> I can't even do the Uwah. Yahuwah, all right? That's the name of the son. And we're going to see that in the paleo. All right. Now, some people have criticized me since they're like, oh, no, you're making the Trinitarians look good. Actually, no, this is this is nothing like the Trinitarian, nor like, is this like a modalist debate. A Trinitarian would say that uh, there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three dudes in heaven. There are three persons, one uh, one God, one entity, right? So the Father is equal to the – it's like you think of a triangle. I'm forming a triangle here, just you know, 
fill that in. Uh, you got the father who was equal to the son. The son is equal to the father, which is not scriptural in any way, shape, or form. Um, then the son and the you know the Holy Spirit over here, they're equal and so on and so forth, right? What the, the modalists do is that they recognize that the, Trini the Trinitarian model has problems, and so they try to fix it. But in doing so, they actually, in my humble opinion, uh, they make it way worse. Uh, hey, a blessed man. I, I was good to see you here. I was just, I was just telling everyone that you know we, it's, it's, it is undeniably Sabbath in the Philippines right now. So I could say Shabbat Shalom, and uh, you know, for all of you sun, sunrise, the you know sunrise people out there. Uh, I think the sun is up in the Philippines right now. The roosters are crowing. So, uh, where, where, where was I? Uh, talking about modalism. What the modalists try to do is they try to fix the Trinity, but in doing so, in my opinion, I'm sorry if there's any modalists out there, if this is insulting, I don't mean to be, um, but they make it worse. They just, they, they mess up the whole thing because then they say, well, it's not three persons. It's just, it's, you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all one person and you know messiah is like in the garden praying to himself and he says the father and then he tells his disciples he's going to send a helper but that's really him and it's just it's confusing okay so what i'm advocating here is that the son is the literal son begotten of the father and that the son yuhusha hamashiach call him a yeshua if you want call him jesus christos um, whatever your uh, preferred version is, uh, that he is the same Elohim as the Old Testament, Yahuwah, Yahweh, um, and that it was always the son. It was always the son who cut a covenant with Abraham. He was the one that gave the law, the commands, the Torah on Sinai. He gave the father's commands on Sinai. He was the one that entered the marriage with Yasharel. He was the one who eventually when, you know, he was the one that came down and lived the perfect life and he died so that the covenant could be fulfilled from his end. He did it all, right? It was always Yeshua, Yahusha HaMashiach from the very beginning. That's such an exciting thought, especially uh, if you can accept that premise, uh, you're going to get some like, like goosebumps, like in a good way tonight when you read some of these lines tonight. So I think I covered everything for the introduction on this that I wanted to. All right. Are you guys ready for this? My mouse isn't working now. Oh, there we go. <laughs> okay. Hey, it's scrolling. All right. So you see here Pamela's uh, translation. Book the first, first creation by Allahiyam. All right. So, all right. <laughs> I'll say one more thing here that when it comes to these Torah portions, like I don't know who sectioned these off throughout the year where you start, you know, Genesis one and then you end in uh, how many chapters are there in Deuteronomy? I didn't check like 30 something or whatever. Uh, you know, so they section them off throughout the year. And whoever decided that the first Torah portion would be Genesis 1 through half of chapter 6 was like, uh, they were sadistic. I, I don't know how, I, that, that might be rude to whoever did it, but like the the, the rabbis, speaking of, um, you know, uh, the rabbinical Judaism have stated, and I actually agree with them on the statement, that 
you're within canon you're not going to find any theme most likely and this is a challenge you guys can all challenge the the rabbis at this but you're not going to find any theological doctrine that is not first covered in the first few chapters of genesis a bear all right so to try to even unpack all of this tonight it's not going to happen don't expect it to happen and there's one other handicap that I have here tonight is that when I did the Aramaic Targum study with you guys, by that time, I had already read the Aramaic Targum at least twice. Uh, I've been through it now at least four times. Uh, of course, I've been through the Torah multiple times, and I have never been through the Paleo-Hebrew. This is a brand new, I mean, you have to like unlearn what you've learned to go through this, and I don't know how this ends, and Pamela hasn't translated it all yet, so I'm I'm going to be discovering this week by week with you guys. And for the following year, this is going to be different than my other studies because I don't want to uh, I don't want to go off on these rabbit trails and go like, um, OK, well, let's let's quote from like Jasher and Jubilees and, you know, the books of Adam and Eve and the writings of Abraham and, you know, all, you know, the legends of the Jews and all this kind of stuff. it's like, no, 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 no. The purpose of this study for the next year, for those who of you who want to come through this with me, is to dissect and understand the Paleo-Hebrew as translated by Pamela, all right? Uh, so I'm going to be, it's going to be a, a simpler study and uh, just going through this line by line, discussing it. All right, here we go. In periods, this is Genesis 1-1, just so you all know, in periods as a Powerful sign of working, chief son and heir, Alahayam, filled with choice things. Behold, as a sign, Shamayim or Shamayam, the place of the names, and behold, as a sign, Aratz, that would be uh, uh, the uh, earth, the earth, I believe, Aratz, the chief place of running. All right, right here, we automatically see a huge difference from a Genesis. It, she doesn't translate this in the beginning. She translates this in periods. Uh, in one of her earlier drafts, uh, I wish I, 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 I really liked it. I have like all of Genesis one, chapter one from her earlier draft. And she had uh, a lot more words put in here. And um, one of the, one of the pictures we think, or at least I think is happening here in Genesis one is that we see the chief son and heir Allahayam. Now, some of you say, well, Allahayam is the son. No, actually, this is the son of the father. Yahushua HaMashiach is in the first sentence of the Bible. This the son of Allahayam. And what's happening here is he's being announced or brought forward. And he's like, all right, Allahayam is saying, this is my son. He is the inheritor. He is going to be the king of this earth. And... A lot of people, you know, have made the case that he is actually conceived or born in this moment. I, I'm, I have long been interested in that point of view. I don't really know if that's the case or not. I can't say it's the case or not. I don't know if he existed before this or, you know, he really did come forward. And Allahayam's like, all right, here he is. Here's here's my son. Well, let's keep reading because what happens afterwards is, is really fascinating. And the reason I say that um, the, the possibility possibility that he did come into existence here, right? He's a, literally, we know at some, at some point in history he was begotten. We don't know where. We don't know if this is describing when he's begotten or if it was an earlier time. 
it's kind of almost a, a irre irrelevant to me. But remember what happened when Yehusha HaMashiach was born in Bethlehem. What happened? Well, Herod, who was under the employments of Satan, of Hasatan, went and massacred the children in an attempt to kill him. And of course, Herod was a, an Edomite. He was an Esau. And of course, that was it, it was him attempting to reverse the prophecy of what we're going to read tonight about uh, crushing the head of the serpent. Uh, Satan was trying to crush Messiah's head uh, through Herod, through Edom, through Esau. Uh, we see the same thing happening here. Verse 2. But observe, Aratz was unorganized and empty. So the earth was you know, in chaos, right? It was un unorganized and empty. The earth already existed. It was already here. And darkness rose up from the deep waters, went up to its face. But the Ruach Alahayam, this would be the, the Ruach HaKadosh, as a wall of protection moved violently upon the surface of the waters. So what just happened is that the sun was declared the chief and heir of Alahayam, and somebody didn't like that. There was a darkness that immediately came up out of the deep. We don't know who this darkness is, if this is the, you know, the embodiment of Hasatan, or if this is, uh, you know, the Princess Sheol, or who, it's some sort of entity, a, a literal entity that came up, and the Ruach uh, HaKadosh, or the Ruach Alahayam, like a true mother, is protective of her children, right? She comes rushing up. And Pamela talks about how there's actually two things. It's kind of hard to get an accurate translation here because there's actually two things are happening. One is that we we see a nurturing of the mother kind of going over the waters. You've heard that a lot. You probably heard about how the Holy Spirit is like kind of brewing the water, right? Preparing the earth for all her children who are going to be born. But there's also this, this rushing, this violence up to stop this opposing darkness is coming up to challenge the son of Allahayam. And then Allahayam then declared, light, he will exist. And light, he will exist. And Allahayam gazed upon that beautiful light. And Allahayam divided the light from the darkness into the light. Allahayam gave the name of Ya'uam. And to the darkness, he gave the name of Leah Laha. This was the close, the uh, the close and the dawn of the first age. Like, oh my goodness, there's so much happening in there. You know, it, it, it could take me the next hour and a half. We're going to close shop tonight at nine, whether I finish this or not. Uh, I could talk about this for the next hour and a half, so I can't cover it all. But let's uh, let's address a few things here. La, uh, Leah Laha. Uh, th this is kind of similar to the if you ever you're probably all familiar with the Eric Clapton song Layla, right? Uh, same thing. Uh, this is actually where we get Lilith from. And the idea, the, the understanding here is that Leia Laha or Lilith or Layla, whatever you want to call her, uh, is, is an, uh, this darkness is an actual entity. All right. And there's an actual, uh, separation here. The separation of the light and the darkness isn't just you know, as we see it as nighttime and day, that there seems to be something spiritually going on where uh, Allahayam is literally separating the wheat from the tares, separating these the, these maybe maybe these dark Elohim or or Ruachoth in rebellion uh, versus uh, those who are in the light, right? Those who are standing with his son, the heir, because he's just been declared heir, and we see this this epic struggle going on. 
Now, the, the other thing I'll, I'll quickly comment on here is that, oh, I will say too that uh, Lilith, and I want to talk about her more because I actually wrote this whole article, this paper on her, um, and I haven't gone over it yet on my YouTube channel. But, um, you know, the in rabbinical traditions, like when you look at the legends of the Jews and stuff, they actually call Lilith the angel of the night. And that's what it is here. You know, darkness is called Le'alaha. And the next thing that's really interesting here is that this has been a long argument in theological circles of whether or not it was the creation week was a literal week or if it was a long uh, gestating period over many hundreds or thousands or, you know, I'll just stop at thousands, but over a long period. And, you know, I was asking Pamela about this. I'm like, I noticed you you translated this. This was the close and the dawn of the first age. And maybe a lot of, a lot of you noticed that. She's like, yeah, like it's it can be translated. You could say day or you could say age. And kind of at the end of the day, we I don't know if we really know. Uh, I kind of like the idea of a uh, a day age. And this, it's almost like, a, <laughs> I've really been into Lord of the Rings recently and like studying Middle Earth history. And, you know, Tolkien talks about these, like the first, second, third, fourth age. It, it, you can almost get this, this sense that as you go through this creation week, you actually have these different ages, these different things that are happening. And that this was, in, it's kind of summing up, it, it could possibly, it could be summing up what happened in a literal 24-hour period. Or it could be saying that this is an age where everything you just read is kind of summing up in a paragraph what happened over, you know, this lengthy time. And this is kind of the conclusion of what happened. So two ways of looking at this. I'll let you guys decide. Uh, I'm not firm on either position, but I, I, I'm very interested in the age or what you call the epoch uh, um, position. Alaham also declared... He will exist. Uh, uh, this is where we get uh, rakia or firmament, but uh, the uh, I can't even pronounce that, guys. I'm sorry. The, the, I'll say the, the rakia. He will exist rakia between the waters, and let it be a division between the waters and the waters. And so the idea is, is that you have, um, you know, you're pushing this, uh, this like this dome down onto the earth. And so the water is, you know, separating above and below. I told you guys I'm going to try really hard not to get into uh, extra biblical books. I'll talk about them, but I'm not going to like take my time quoting from them. But Second Enoch talks a lot about this: how the waters above are masculine and the waters below are feminine. There was an actual separation of the, the masculine and the feminine here. And Allahayam made the uh, the rikia, the expanse, and it divided the waters which were above the rikia, and it was done. And Allahim named the expanse Ha Shamayam. This was the close and the dawn of the second age. So, and I, I love the wording on this. She's like, this is the close uh, of the second age, right? Um, and this again, this has been long commented on that, you know, the firmament, it appears that in this first day slash age, there was this huge rebellion of these spiritual entities, these Ruachoth and Yahuwah separate the light and the darkness. Okay, you guys go to your corner, you go to your corner. And uh, to keep you guys out of heaven, I'm building this firmament. And um, um, by the way, this is one other thing I want to comment. I know there's a lot of details here tonight. I want to comment on is that I've been talking to Pamela a lot about this in her translation. And one of the discussions we've been having is 
within the creation week, what can we say with certainty was actually created uh, in the the uh, the creation week? Because there's actually not a lot of creation words being used. We call it the creation week, and we assume that everything that happened in this week was created, but that actually is not necessarily so. Um, I'm I, I'm not sure that the firmament was actually created here. Um, it, it was definitely fastened over the earth at this time. Um, and, you know, I, I, it could have been created in the prior age before the destruction of the earth, right? Um, and we're going to, I'll show you as we go through here, some of the things that appear to not be created that already pre-existed and that they, it was replenished. And so a good way, a good way of thinking about this is that if you uh, ever did, you ever are a, like a, you flip homes for a living and maybe you bought like a the money pit type of house or not that the earth is a money pit. That's a bad example, but you know, you did a huge remodel, right? Like you, you're putting a new roof, new expanding walls, but you have the foundation already laid down and that's what we have happening here. So the, the furniture you might've had like off in storage somewhere, you know, your bed and couches and all that kind of stuff. You already had that from your former house. Uh, but, you know, you're moving it into the house and you replenish after you build the roof and you get it with the foundation firm again and everything. Then you start moving in the, um, the furniture. So I think that's a good way to look at what's happening here. I need another drink of coffee. Allah Hayam then commanded, let the waters below Ha Shamyam be collected in one place and let dry land appear. And that was done. So we know that there was the, 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 the dry land was not created. The dry land was there, but it rose up above the waters, just like we see with Noah's flood, right? When the water submerges and the, the dry land appears, same thing. And that was done. <clears throat> and Allah, Hayam, and Allah Hayam named the dry land Aratz, or the earth, and the accumulated waters he named Yamayam, or seas, and Allah, uh, Allah Hayam admired their beauty. Allah Hayam then declared, let the Ha'arat produce seed-bearing vegetation, as well as fruit trees according to their several species, capable of reproducing upon Ha'arats. Now, this is another one. It appears, now, I could be wrong about this, but it appears that the, the seed-bearing plants also pre-existed. They where were they? Well, they were on the earth. They were the command was that they be, be brought forth onto the earth. Uh, they maybe existed in paradise or any of the 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 tires of heaven. You know, the the six or seven or really upwards of ten worlds. I and mean, we we don't know how huge heaven truly is. They were in storehouses, and they're like, okay, bring them down. And um, this is where I've I've also really reevaluated the 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 fossil records with the Mesozoic age and different things like this. I know this will be a very controversial for a lot of my uh, listeners. I want to tell, you know, convey with everyone here that I am in no way, shape or form identified with any kind of evolutionary thinking. I think that is wrong. I believe total creation. Um, uh, I am, you know, I believe in microevolution, not macroevolution. Those are two completely different things. Even the young earth creationists are microevolutionists um, in those sense. Um, but, you know, a dog cannot become a cat, right? Or that's established. 
but with a, with a dog, you can get thousands of variations of dogs. Same thing with birds and everything else. Even with people, you can get, you know, tons of variations. Well, but, uh, you know, a person is never going to become a elephant, right? Or a shark. All right. Well, when you look at the fossil record, it's really interesting because the, it's, it's not a fine science, even though we'll tell you that, but the, the scientists who look at the geological records will say that there were three major extinction events. And when we talk about like the Triassic, Jurassic, and, and so on and so forth, uh, Cretaceous, uh, those are below, the, according to what, I, what I'm looking at right now, is that the Jurassic, Triassic, Cretaceous would be the foundation of the earth that is being established right here. So they would have already been buried. Okay, there was a major ocean, uh, flood event came out, wiped out the ancient world, just totally destroyed. Now, Pamela may totally like be shaking her head right now, just like, no, no, this is wrong. But <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, but and even below that, they say there was another major extinction event where you see. So you see like these these columns where they get simpler and more complex. And by the way, you know, the uh, young creationists do a great job of explaining how that would be with a flood, with the different tides coming up. But with the, once you destroy the, the age of the dinosaurs, um, you then come into the age of the mammals. And so, you know, all the, all the layers above that, I, I believe are from uh, Noah's flood. And those would have been the, the age of the mammals that were, um, uh, destroyed at that time. You know, you're talking about woolly rhinos, woolly mammoths, that kind of stuff. Uh, and Pamela also, I also believe, are obviously in the existence of, of dragons. All right. And she talks about this here too. So, all right. All right. Where was I? Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. And that was done. The hot rats produce the seed bearing herbage according to every species of reproductive fruit trees. And Alahayam saw that it was good. This was the close in the dawn of the third age, which I think the uh, the dawn of the the ending of the third age in Lord of the Rings is when the elves left. I'm sorry for that little nerd moment there. Uh, Alahayam further declared, "Let there exist from lights in the expanse of Ha Shamayam for a division between the day and the night, and let them serve to mark seasons, periods, and years, and let them also illuminate the expanse of the skies so as to gift light upon the earth, the Ha Rats." And that was done. All, uh, okay, so pause right there. This is another thing we're looking at is were the stars created? Well, I can't tell you whether they were created yet. I mean, at, at one point in time, you guys know what I mean. At one point in time, they were created. But it appears very, very potentially here that we have yet to see anything created. Okay, that what what Allah Hayyam, keep in mind, this is the father. This is not the, the son here. Uh, this is the father. The father is saying, he's he, he's he's shown who the heir is, but he's like, all right, for this new creation for my son, all right, bring forth the stars. And this is this goes perfectly with what we've been looking at, uh, theoretically, that the stars can come and go. Like they, they can maybe fall out of the sky and come back, right? They can lose their authority. And, and it's one of those things that has been commented on for a long time as well with uh, Neil Armstrong when, you know, obviously he never went to the moon, right? But, you know, he famously talked about how he never saw any stars. And the later Apollo astronauts are like, no, there's stars everywhere, right? And it's like, well, which is it? Was there stars or no stars, right? And we've all wondered, at least I have, and I know many of you have, is when the sun is overhead, are the stars out? 
do they actually go out? Because you can see it when the sun, you know, you, you got the sunset, the sun is gone, and then you see one pop up, and then another pop up, and then several pop up, and then boom, it's like the lights just turn on, right? And you're like, well, that's really interesting. And so that appears to be what's happening here, where Alayam, it's like they, all the lights went out. The stars, they, the, the divine beings, the entities of the stars were there. They were alive. But he's like, all right, come on now. Leading to the sun and the moon. And this is what we read. Allah made two lights from light, the greater from light to have dominion over the day and the smaller from, uh, from light to control the night, accompanied by the stars. All right, so let me look at this again. Um, so he made, all right? So we have our first affirmation of the first two things that we could say uh, definitely or what appears to be definitely created in the creation week was the sun and the moon. All right. So if there was a sun and a moon in the prior world, that sun went out, that moon was destroyed. You know, maybe there were five moons. I don't know, but they're gone. So he made a new sun and moon. This goes in with my understanding of the hidden wilderness. For those of you who follow that research that we actually see on the moon, an actual uh, uh, map of the earth, a, a good way to describe it would be like a, it's a photo negative of an actual snapshot of the skeleton of the earth when the, when the, um, when the moon, perhaps when the moon and the uh, sun were created and it was a high energy event, and it took an actual photo of the continents, what it looked like at that time. And uh, so, yeah. All right. And hopefully I'm not repeating this line. And Al-Hayam had fixed them in the expanse. So it was to illuminate Ha'arats. Um, I think I read this, but I'll just finish this. To have dominion over the day and, the, and to have dominion over the night and to mark the division between the light and the darkness. And Al-Hayam saw they were beautiful. This was the close and the dawn of the fourth age all right let's see how the fifth see, let's, let's see what goes down in the fifth age Allah then said let the waters be swarming with animal life and let winged fowl fly above the earth over the face of the expanse of the Hashamayam. Allah accordingly produced the monsters of the deep this would be where we see the, uh, the word tannin uh, this is a uh, thunu yanam and a lot of translations will say this, these are whales, but she puts here, or dragons. And um, and so these are, these are yeah, okay, so there you go. And the waters abounded with living nefash swarmers and also produce every species of winged fowl. And Allah uh, Hayam admired their beauty. And Allah Hayam, he did barak them, declaring... Be fruitful and multiply so as to fill the waters of the deep and also let the birds multiply upon the earth, the Urats. This was the close and the dawn of the fifth age. Allah Hayam then declared, let Ha'arats produce living nafash according to its species, quadrupeds, reptiles, and all wild animals answering to their species. And that was done. Allah Hayam accordingly made the various species of the animals of Ha'arats, as well as several species of quadrupeds and all the different species of reptiles, and Allah Hayam admired their beauty. Allah Hayam then declared, let us fashion Adam under our shadow. Now this is, 
particularly fascinating. And for me, this really uh, solidifies the case that that Adam was um, in paradise. He was, well, I'm giving away. I'll, I'll talk about this later. But these Adams here, the Adam talked about here is what we would call the pre-Adamites. I mean, this has solidified this case in my mind that this is the father creating them. And then we see what the son will do later. All right. And again, if this is an age, it's, it's really interesting because even if we were to say, let's just say for sake of argument, all right. And maybe you guys all feel differently. That's fine. We could all feel different about this, but let's just say for sake of argument that each age is a thousand years. All right. It could be 10,000 years, but let's just say a thousand years, right? A day is a thousand years. You guys know where I'm getting that from. Um, it would be interesting then that to see that these humans, these pre-Adamites would have a 2000 year head start before Adam and Chua or Eve show up. So that would be like from, from the official narrative, the official timeline where we're seated, that would be like a Caesar Augustus, right? The, the Caesars compared to, we, we think of all the history that happened in there, the rise of empires and the falls and all the, all the kind of world history. And of course, Moshe, he's not, he's not interested in talking about that. He's interested in his family lineage that he comes from Adam, right? The Hebrews, the Israelites, they all, everyone who stepped foot off the ark, they all came from Adam. And so we're looking at our family history. So he's not going to go into all of this, whatever happened here. So Allah Hayam created Adam under his own shadow. I find that fascinating. I don't know what to say about that. Maybe Pamela will have some thoughts. I'm hoping in the coming weeks that she'll come and join me and be able to dissect some of this with me because I don't know what she means by under his shadow. That it has my interest though. Creating them in the shadow of Allah Hayam. And I well, I guess that would be like in the image, right? In the image. But <laughs> I don't know if she meant to do this or not. But the, the idea of being created as a shadow uh to the most high is like in my in my understanding, still so platonic, right? Like we live in the shadowlands, the shadow world. And you know, you guys have heard me talking about this a lot. Like what Plato would say is that the very idea of a chair, like I'm sitting in a chair right now. Probably a lot of you are sitting on a couch or a chair or maybe laying in bed. I don't really know. Maybe some of you like to stand up while you listen to me. But the very fact that you're in a chair, you can know for certain that there is a chair in heaven because we wouldn't have a chair on the earth. If it didn't, you know, we didn't have one in heaven. In heaven, first, the very fact that we have a roof overhead proves that there is a heavenly roof over us, right? Because everything that we have down here comes from heaven. There, there, nothing can exist. It, it, it's all a shadow of a greater reality. And we have the same thing with the family, right? The father, the mother, the children. It's the same thing, right? We have a father and a mother in heaven, right? So we are created in his image. We are but a shadow of, I, I actually really like that now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, and constituting them male and female. So we see a plurality of male and female. It's not just uh, Adam and, and uh, Heva or Chua. It's actually, we don't know how many, but 100,000 million. I don't know how many he created, but he created multiple humans. Uh, and he declared to them, be fruitful and multiply so as to fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the uh, the heavens, the Hashamayam, and over every living animal that moves upon the Ha'aratz, Allah, Allah Hayam also declared, see, I have given you for food. Let me scroll this up for you guys. 
See, I have given you for food every fruit and grain-bearing plants upon the surface of the whole earth, as well as fruits and seed-bearing trees and all vegetation, so that they may be food for you and for every animal of Ha'aratz, and for every winged fowl of the skies, and for every reptile upon the earth which possesses the life of animals. And it was done. And Alahayam gazed upon all that he had made, and it was very beautiful. Thus the close came of the sixth age. Thus Hashamayam and Ha'aratz were completed, as well as their armies. And Alahayam rested at the seventh age from all the works which he had made. And there it, it's, it, it, <laughs> I totally see like repeated 7,000 year, like kingdom of heaven here. Like, the, you know, we talked about the millennial kingdom, right? Like, it's like, I could totally see a thousand years of rest uh, upon the earth here. I could totally see that again. I don't know if it's a day or an age or what, but I'm digging it. And therefore Allah Hayam, he did Barak the seventh day and he did Kudashit. Because he then rested, and you know, this is I, I believe the root word for holy or set apart, because he then rested from all the work which Allah had arranged to do. All right, now we're gonna see the stunning flip here. All right, so everything you thought you knew about the old testament is going to change in a in a good way, uh, at least from my my understanding of it. And we are going to see the introduction of Yahweh, Yahuwah, or uh, Yaha. Oh, <laughs> let me try this again. Yaha Uaha. Yaha Uaha. All right. This is the son, the son of Allahayam. These were the productions for Hashamayam, uh, the place of the names, heavens, and Harats, the chief place of running the earth during their creation of the period of the organization by Yaha. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to try really hard, guys, to get this down. I Because I, I'm trying really, you know, th these names are important to me. But it's just like the way my uh, the, the wires, like I'm wired in the head. It, it's just like I can't, I can't get it from here out here sometimes. So like I could totally do it in here and it just doesn't come out that way. Uh, but there it is. The first time that name appears in scripture, it's uh, it's right here. Create an uh, organization by Yaha. Yuaha Alahayam. So you notice how what Pamela does here, if she's actually, if it's referring to the name of the individual, she'll capitalize it. So if we're dealing with the father, she's going to put Alahayam in all caps. But here we're not dealing with the father. So she puts Alahayam in lowercase. Uh, and then uh, Yahuwah here, Yahuwaha in all caps. Of both Ha'arat and Ha'ashamayam and over Every plant of the field before it was upon the earth, and every herb of the field before he caused it to grow, even before Yaha Yuaha Alahayam, the ever living Alahayam, had scattered them upon Ha'arats, and Adam existed not to cultivate the earth. A vapor then rose up from the earth and saturated the whole surface of the ground. So imagine if there is like an actual age of rest. And mankind is actually not cultivating the earth here, right? And it, it, we talked about the same thing with the Millennial Kingdom about like manna coming down, you know, and and the, the rivers of the waters of life and all these kind of things. It seems like it was just this this paradise, right? The formation of Adam, uh, Adam from the dust of the 
Adama ground by the ever-living Alahayam. Yaha Yuaha Alahayam, the ever-living Alahayam, afterwards formed Adam from the dust of the uh, of the the earth, the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life of lives. I actually love that there. That's that's not a typo on her part. And breathe into his. I expected it to read something else, but and breathe into his nostrils the breath of lives, plural. And he did exist, Adam, a living nefash. Now, this is this is the beautiful part here. Is that you know we we have this uh, the spirit, this ruach within us, and it's on loan from Yahweh, from the sun. It's on loan from him. He could take it back whenever he wants, right? It's on loan from him for us to, you know, the things our spirit, our Ruach says, you know, we could bless people, we curse people, we, you know, do good work and we could do evil, right? And and this actual Ruach is, is what was breathed in this scene right here. This is when it happened. He breathes into Adam. He gives him the breath of life. And this same breath that came from Elohim, Continued on from to child to child to child, just passed down all the way to us. And that's a really exciting thought. This is the origin of our ruach right here, our breath in this very line. Yaha, Waha, Alahayam, the ever-living Alahayam, then planted a garden in uh, Adon, that would be Eden, in the east. And there he placed the Adam whom he had formed. So again, uh, Adam was not created in the garden he was created elsewhere um at, at what point uh yahuwah uh, planted the garden not really sure uh and again i'm, I'm not going to be reading from extra biblical books but we see in like third baruch and others where the planting of the garden was actually a group community project that he was clearly uh, as the king he's in control of it these are his gardens that he wants to he's been named heir now right so he's like all right i'm king um, I'm going to, I want a garden. I want something that I could walk through in the cool of the morning, right? Before I go about to my duties and all that. So I just want to walk through each morning. So he has the different angels like Michael, um, according to third Baruch, a sat, a satin nail, uh, who's Satan or Hasatan. Uh, he was one of them who planted the tree of knowledge, good and evil, which was grapes. And, uh, so it was a community project. And out of the ground, uh, let's see, Yahawaha Alahim, the ever-living Alahayam, caused to grow all the trees that were beautiful, excellent, and functional for food, as well as the tree of lives in the center of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So he he caused these things to grow, but he over you know, you could say he oversaw the project, right? A lake also sprang up in Aden or Eden to supply the garden with water. And from there it divided and became four sources. The name of the first is, uh, I'm going to mess up these names, the uh, Faya Shatwan. The good, the good news is that you guys can read along and <laughs> see how it's spelled. Uh, and flows along the land of Chahuayalaha, where there is gold. Sounds like a nice place to live. And the gold of that land is pure. There are also uh, Bedillium and the, the, the Onyx. And the second river is Gaia Katwan. It, it flows along all the land of, uh, that'd be Kush, but uh, Kayuash. The name of the third river is 
Chedekul, which flows through the east of Asher, and the fourth river is Fereth. I have no commentary on this tonight. This has long perplexed me. I know many people out there have theories about where this is, whether this is, a, uh, you know, the North Pole, right? I mean, so many different theories on this. Um, and people have been looking all over the world. I don't know. We'll just, you guys all, you guys probably all have your own theories on it. In Yaha Waha Alahayam, the ever living Alahayam, then that isn't that interesting too how it like it's stressing this is the ever living Elohim, the ever living Alahayam. Like, you know, when you're when you're heir to the throne, like you're not getting taken out. Then took the Adam and placed him in the Garden of Aden for the purpose of cultivating and taking care of it. So again, we saw that he was created elsewhere. We don't know where. We don't know how long he lived. I mean, you know, there's always this idea that like, you know, people say he was created on the sixth day, right? So he would just, he was like created outside. He maybe was like alive for an hour or two. We don't really know. And then he was just placed into it. Well, what if he actually lived a long life? What if, you know, I don't know. What if he was... I know like Jubilees will say other things, I'm sure, if we were going to study on that. But what if um, the count of his age didn't start yet? I mean, there's so many questions I have, but he could have been a grown man. He could have lived his whole life. And, uh, and then at one point, Yahuwah is like, I'm going to put you into, I'm, I, I'm putting you into this garden now. And Yahuwaha Alahayim, the ever-living Alahayim, instructed the Adam, saying, for food you may eat of the whole of the trees of the garden, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, because in the day you eat from it, dying, you shall die. I, I'm trying to like picture what that scene is like. Like this is because I, you know, I've been to Europe and I've been to these huge palaces like Versailles, and they have these expansive gardens that will go on for like, I don't know, kilometers. I mean, some of huge, huge garden, the most amazingly huge gardens you can imagine. And so you just you, you you got this idea like you had the king's palace and his castle and his you know his court and then he's like look this is my garden that i personally choose to walk through each day nobody else like i choose you you're the guy i'm going to put into this garden you can live here like i'm not going to ask anything of you you just you just live here you just take care of it i guess you are asking him to do something right but you know what i'm saying like this is a sweet this is a sweet gig and he's like just oh by the way there's this one tree just this one tree, you can, you, you, all of this fruit, it's yours. It's yours for the taking. Drink from whatever you want, you know, whatever. I'm not, I don't care. But this one tree, just leave that one alone. Yaha Waha Alahayam, the ever living Alahayam, also said, It is not good for the Adam to be in solitude. I will make a comforter to live with them. And that's a sweet gig, guys. <laughs> it's like he, he, like, he was already on the earth with these other dudes and women, but he's like, not only am I going to let you eat whatever you want, you could do just, you could roam the garden. It's all yours. It's like, this is my private garden. I wander through this. Very few other people do. You've got full privileges, but I'm going to give you uh, a hot babe. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to make you the most amazing woman uh, that you can ever imagine. And uh, she's going to live in this garden with you. I mean, this is a sweet gig. Therefore, Yaha Waha Alahayam, the ever-living Alahayam, who had formed out of the ground every animal of the field, as well as every winged fowl of uh, Ha Shamayim. Now, 
here here you might be seeing, but wait a second, wait a second. We just went through Allah Hayyam creating, and now it's saying that he created everything. I was actually uh, talking, uh, this is one of the things I brought with Pamela, but let's not forget here that there are actually two creation accounts. All right. So, and the, the creation account is in a different order from the first. And so this has been, you know, considered a contradiction for many years with people that the atheists bring it up, the scholars, all this kind of stuff. And they have these different theories about, well, they, the Hebrews have these two different creation accounts and they couldn't figure them out. They kind of stitched them together and we're not really to take it seriously. Well, when you understand that Allah Hayyam created the first, he, he basically, he's like, look, I destroyed the world. I'm going to fix it because I don't want to give my, my son a destroyed world. I'm going to fix this for him. And then we see that this is Yahuwah's actual personal project that now he is creating also special creations of animals and other things like that. He does it in a different order. And so that's what I think that's referring to right here. Uh, who had formed out of the ground every animal of the field as well as every winged fowl, the Ha-Shamayim. Some of you will take that as fighting words. Took them to the Adam to see what he would name them. And whatever the Adam with the living Nefash called them, that was their name. So the Adam gave names to all the uh, quadrupeds and all the birds of the skies, to all the wild animals, but it was no comfort for the Adam to be with them. Therefore, Yaha Waha Alahayam, the ever-living Alahayam, threw the Adam into a stupor. I guess that'd be like a sleep or something. And he slept. And taking one of his side chambers, he closed up the flesh in its place. And from the side chamber, which uh, that be you know according to a lot of translations the rib, which Yahwaha Alahaim the ever living Alahaim had taken out of the Adam, he constructed a woman, and brought her to to the Adam, and the Adam declared, "This form is bone of my own bone, and flesh of my own flesh. This shall be called a Shaha, woman, because she was taken from." Uh, a <laughs> uh, uh, Ahayash, man. Man shall therefore leave his father and his mother and shall unite with his covenant woman and they shall be Akkad. Now there, there's that Akkad we see that is huge for the Trinitarian argument. They bring this up a lot that, you know, that uh, that he is one, right? That the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're one, they're three persons, but they're Akkad. But we see later, like in uh, Yochanan, and you know where he's praying that, that his Talmudim would also be a Kad, as he and the father are a Kad. So that's a kind of a problem right there. And we see this here that the man and the woman are intended to be that a Kad. And we've gone over a lot of this stuff, like with uh, the the books of the Nazarene, the Gospel Collide, and so on and so forth. I think also in uh, uh, the Book of Britain, Book of Wisdom, this idea that the uh, the you know, the man, very few men and women, even though they're married for a judge or a priest, they're not really a cod, right? They, they don't have the marriage of Ruakoth. And this is what is intended for them from the very beginning. They are one in will and purpose. And they were naked, the Adam and his covenant woman, but they were not ashamed. Here's another, uh, man, I like this little fruit fly flying around here. It's like bugging me. Um, here's a, another big controversial piece that I've talked about. Uh, that I am convinced that uh, Adam and, and Chua or he, uh, Heva were uh, they they were clothed they wore clothes uh, in heaven there wasn't nakedness up in heaven uh, you know the the king of heaven didn't have these two naked people 
<laughs> running around in his garden. You know, it's like everyone's like, why can't we go into your garden? We hear like we hear like there's these like naked people running around in there. I mean, I'm not trying to be crude, guys. I'm just trying to like give a picture here. I believe that they wore clothing and that that the clothing that they wore were these uh, purple robes. Um, and they were oh, purple clothing of some sort that was the Ruach HaKadosh. They were clothed in the Ruach HaKadosh. Um, and, and so if you look at the language very carefully here, see people say, but no, it says you're not, you don't believe the Bible. No, that's what I, people love this. Like you don't believe the Bible. No, because it says they were naked. It's like, yes, they were naked when they had intercourse, right? And they were not ashamed. They were naked and they weren't ashamed. See how that works? They're, they're a cod. They become one. And when they're one, they're naked and they're not ashamed. And, uh, and it, which will contrast when they are naked again and they are ashamed. You see what I'm saying? So there, there's kind of a little play here going on as to what is going to happen. You kind of have to read into it a little bit, but it, it makes a lot more sense to me that, uh, that mankind was not intended to be nude. I mean, you think about like the, what would come up if eventually they have children. I mean, I imagine at some point they're going to have children. This is why the Mormons actually teach that it was actually good that they fell because otherwise they, they had to, otherwise they can have children. Well, I think that's ludicrous. I think it's totally ludicrous. I think they could have totally had children in their non-fallen state. And uh, think about the, the scenario that arises when you know, I mean, the Torah says, you know, about, you know, not seeing your father's nakedness, right? Not seeing the, the nakedness of your son's wife, these kind of things. Well, that's going to be a problem when you're you're trying to find a wife for your son and your son is naked and the wife is naked and the in-laws are naked and you're all coming over for a naked barbecue. And <laughs> like, how would that work? I, I don't know. Like, the thing is, is that like you, you would have to conclude that that they had sexual organs, but were never intended to have sex ever, ever uh, for this to work. That's the only way this could work. And I, I just don't believe that. I believe that they were created as a husband and wife to come together and do husband and wife things with each other, which means that they, they would be unclothed at some points and clothed at another. And when they're unclothed, they don't feel shame. Hopefully you guys understand. I'm trying to undress this argument for you so you can get a clear picture of what I'm talking about. As we go into this next section right here. Now, uh, Ha Nakash, the serpent. Hold on, I need more coffee. I think we'll get through this. We got, wow, it's eight o'clock. I'm doing good. Um, we have a whole hour, and I'm going to cut this off at nine o'clock every night. So I think we're doing good, though. Now, Ha Nakash, the serpent, was more impudent than any of the wild animals of the field, which Yaha Waha Allah Hayam, the ever living Allah Hayam had made. Now, I pointed this out to Pamela this week because I was reading through this. As I'm reading through, I'm kind of throwing some questions her way. Now, of course, we've been talking about this for months, but I said, I said in a comment, so, so uh, Yahusha Hamashiach created Hasatan? Is that what it's saying? And she's like, no, that's not. And, and I, I threw this line at her and she's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> It's what it's, I mean, it's like he now again, again, Hasatan is is not the serpent, so to speak, right? Because he embodied the serpent. But again, maybe it's kind of a play on words here. So trying to do like the the you know from the karate kid, like the chopsticks. I'm trying to get this this bug in here that that's flying around. Um, 
I don't know. I'm just throwing this out here. Is it possible? Maybe these are, you guys can throw these in the comments below the video, whatever. We can talk about this. We talk about this this night. Is it saying that these serpents who becomes the dragon in Revelation, the serpents of old, was this serpent created by Yahweh? Is this part of his special creation? Hmm. I don't know. All right. Anyways, it said that he was, he made him, so the serpent, so he asked the woman, so keep in mind, it's the serpent who Yahuwah, uh, Yahawaha had created. He's now asking the woman, is it true that Allah Hayyam has said you may not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman replied to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruits of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, Allah Hayyam has said, do not eat of it and do not even touch it lest you die. Now, in other books, um, again, like Third Baruch is one of those that uh, states that actually this is the tree that Hasatan actually planted. And so what appears to be happening here is that uh, the serpent is coming in. He, he, in one way or another, he, you know, he, he, he gets into the garden. I believe he only got into the garden because uh, when you read uh, Revelation of Moshe, uh, the serpent kind of peeks over the wall. He's like, hey, pss, pss. you know, he's trying to get the woman's attention. He can't come into the garden. She kind of has to invite him in. Almost like the idea of like a ghost or or spirits or, you know, you say demons, right? There, there tends to be something that when they come into a house to haunt a house or to plague a family, or whatever, there's always the invite that inevitably happens. And it's kind of a, a, a scary, I'll say scary prospect right now when you drive down the street. This is the month of October and people are putting all sorts of ghostly things in front of their house to invite the spirits in, right? Uh, but she ultimately had to invite him in. And now he's coming in and he's trying to relate. He's trying to get, get intel from her. He's trying to figure out. He's like, okay, I'm not really sure what he said to her, what she could or couldn't do. So I'm trying to figure this out. Okay, so she said that there's this one tree in the middle. Wait, I planted that tree. Wait a second. All right. And um, I think according to Adam and Eve, um, it was um, uh, Yahawaha actually said that afterwards that I told you not to eat from that tree because I knew that he would be in that tree, right? And so it's very possible, too, that he actually went to, you know, he knew to go to his tree, right? All right. And the woman replied to the serpent, uh, oh, yeah, okay. Um, well, I'll just repeat this. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, Allah Hayyam has said, do not eat of it and do not even touch it lest you die. But the serpent an uh, the serpent answered the woman, you will not die, but Allah Hayyam knows that at the time you eat of it, your eyes will then be opened and you will be like Allah Hayyam acquainted with both good and evil. Now, this has been unpacked and questioned so many different ways. I'll just make a quick comment on this, that uh, that Adam and, and his woman already knew, uh, they already had wisdom, they already had the Ruach HaKadosh, they already knew good from evil, but they weren't evil. And so this is the play on words here that the serpent, he's like, he wants to make them evil, right? This is, you will know good from evil, right? And the woman perceiving that the tree was functional for food and beautiful to the eyes and a tree stimulating to the intellect. She took some of its fruits and ate it. 
and gave some to her man near her. That's interesting. Some of some of its fruits. I like that. Plural. And if we're talking about grapes, um, the, a type of grapes that like can you know uh, make you drunk really quick, type of thing. Like it's already fermented type type of grapes. And these would be those that uh, Noah later planted. She took some of its fruit and ate it and gave some to her man near her, and he also ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they became aware that they were naked. They accordingly joined fig, uh, fig leaves together and made bindings for themselves. So you might be asking, well, wait a second. Well, if, why did they have to make uh, fig, fig tree leaves if they already had clothes? Well, I, I had mentioned that the, the clothing that they wore was the Ruach HaKadosh. I believe that these are the same robes that the saints are given. That It's, a, it's an actual kind of clothing embodiment of the Ruach HaKadosh that, 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 that covers us. And so that was stripped. That was removed from them. And um, they could no longer, you know, they could have looked for it, right? You know, after you just had intercourse, uh, after uh, Eve or Chua just had intercourse with Hasatan, and then Adam, we don't really know his role in this, but he participates somehow. Uh, that's, uh, they looked around and, oh, we don't have clothing anymore. So they had to get uh, fig trees together. All right, let's get down here. All right. They then heard the sound of Yaha, Yaha, Waha, Alahaim, the ever living Alahaim, walking in the garden in the Ruach of the day. That's such a haunting thought. I mean, it's like, and when you read um, Revelation of Moshe and some of those books, it, when the king enters the garden, it's, it's not that they just hear that he's walking through the garden. It's like they hear trumpets blasting. And it's like, it's almost like um, if you can think of like a hound hunt or something like that, you know, they're blowing the trumpets with the horses and the, the king is coming with all his posse. It's like, he's not coming alone here. Like he's coming with a group and they hear what's coming and they're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, daddy's home. <laughs> so they hear him walking in the garden and the Ruach of the day and the man and his woman hid themselves from the presence of Yahawaha Alahaim, the ever-living Alahaim, among the trees of the garden. But Yahawaha Alahaim, the ever-living Alahaim, called to the man saying, where are you? And he, <laughs> and he replied, I, I heard sounds of your voice calling out in the garden and perceiving that I was naked, I hid myself. So if you if you're reading that, it, it, that wasn't the first time that he made a sound. Uh, he just said, I heard sounds of your voice calling out in the garden. So he answers them this one time, but he had already been hearing them before that. That wasn't maybe he was calling to him a whole bunch of times. We don't really know. Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? And the man replied, the woman whom you have gifted to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate it. Why did you do that? Yahawaha Alahaim asked the woman. And the woman answered, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. You guys heard this explained dozens of times, hundreds of times by now. But, you know, you, you get the blame shifting, right? The, uh, he looks to the man because the man is a representative of his family, right? It's we like if you're... If your children screw up, it, it's, it's a man's responsibility. Now, most men today are not going to take responsibility for that, but you look to the man. 
right? You, you don't deal with the wife. You don't deal with children. You look to the man and the man's like, nope, deal with my wife. She's responsible. So he looks to the wife and she's like, well, it's, you know, the serpent, right? Yahawaha Allahim, the ever-living Allahim, according, uh, accordingly said to the serpent, because you have done this, you shall be accursed more than all the cattle and more than all the wild beasts of the field. You shall crawl upon your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will also cause antagonism between you and the woman and between your progeny and her progeny. He shall wound your head and you shall wound his heel. There it is right there. And I, I, I've gone my whole life missing that. I, I don't, it's like I wasn't trained to see this. He says to the serpent that you will have children, your progeny. Your progeny is going to get in the way and attack her progeny. We see this all throughout the scripture, leading all the way up. We see it with Cain and Abel, the progeny of the, of the serpent, with the progeny of, of Adam. Uh, though, though, let me just point this out really quickly. Interestingly enough, with Cain being the son of Hasatan, he is still the son of Adam. I mean, think about this because the woman came from Adam, right? So the woman comes from Adam the and Cain comes from the woman. So in turn, Cain still comes from Adam. Even if he comes from Satan, he's still coming from Adam, all right? But anyways, between your progeny and her progeny, of course, we see this again. I already brought up the Herods, the Edomites, Esau. Uh, they were the ones trying to get in the way, right? Getting in the way of Messiah and killing him, all that kind of stuff. And the uh, Herod, the great son, according to what we went through in the Gospel of Peter of Kepha, he actually did it. Uh, it was Pilate hands him over to Herod, and Herod's the one that gives the order to crucify him. He actually did it trying to reverse this prophecy here of he shall wound your head and you shall wound his heel. So in it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy in, in you, you've seen this so often, like in, in mythology and so on and so forth, that in trying to stop this prophecy from happening, uh, Hasatan actually brought it about his, uh, his head was uh, wounded, crushed. But to the woman, he said, I will increase your sorrows and your joys. You shall give birth to children with pain, but your longing shall be for your man and he shall rule over you. So we've commented, it's been commented on many times about, well, not, not often enough about how the result of the pain is, is directed to the sin. What is it about, why was she cursed with childbearing? Well, it's the elephant in the room that uh, has to do with the conception of Cain. There is uh, pain in childbirth because of whatever went on with the serpents in the garden. And what I said was not commented on enough is the fact that up until this time, it was not expected for there to be child uh, pain in childbirth. And we actually see something happen very similar in the uh, the, the gospel, the infancy bizarre, the infancy gospel of Yaakov, and that would be James. And I read that to the group about two, three years ago. I feel like I need to do it again. I just read it to my children in the last couple of weeks, and it was just a marvelous story. And in that, you, they actually say that the curse of the, the serpent was reversed, and Miriam actually delivered Yahushua HaMashiach without feeling the pains of uh, delivery. And this is actually a prophecy that's spoken about in Yashiyahu and Isaiah. And, uh, and so what's interesting is that in that scene, in the gospel of Yaakov, Yahushua HaMashiach just shows up. 
Like she's in, she's kind of in labor. Yosef runs to get a midwife and they come back. The uh, Yaakov is behind uh, the older brother of Yahushua Mashiach. And he's, he's looking around and he's like, Oh, I got left with my, uh, my stepmom here. Who's probably like the same age as him. You know, it's a little awkward. He's got to catch this baby. And then boosh, you know, pow, just like the Messiah appears like as a baby in the room. And, and so a lot of people that they'll look at that and go, no, that's, that's like, that couldn't be, but it's like, well, I actually think that that is how babies as spiritual creatures as, as, Adam and Shua being divine spiritual creatures. They were physical, but they were divinely spiritual creatures. That's how babies were intended to be born. They would be gestated in the womb, and then they would just they would just be born. And um, and so we see that with Yahushua Hamashiach that he was a the second Adam. He was you know he was uh, rever reverting back to what should be. All right. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your covenant woman and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, eat not of it, I will set apart the ground for your cultivation. In sorrow, you shall eat from it every day of your life. It shall grow thorns and briars for you, but you shall have the plants of the field for food. In the sweat of your brow, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground from which you were taken. For dust you are, and to the dust you shall return. The Adam then gave to his covenant woman the name uh, Chua, or uh, as I say, uh, uh, Chua. Uh, but I like that. It's a very beautiful name. Uh, there's also Heva. Uh, I've seen that variation of Eve, but Chua. Uh, right, let me see if I can get this right. Chua. Beautiful name. Because she was the mother of all life. For Adam also said his covenant woman, Yaha. Waha Alahayam, the ever living, made clothing of skins and dressed them. Now, again, it doesn't say here what the clothing of skin was. Uh, many, you know, as you guys know, I mean, all my viewers probably know by this time, but, you know, in Christianity, they say, oh, he went and killed a, a ram or a sheep or a goat or something like that. It never actually says that. Uh, but, um, you know, when you get into Jasher and those books, you learn that. The, the skin actually was the skin of the serpents. And, of course, serpents, they, they shed their skin. And he took these scales and he made clothing out of it. Very, very interesting that he would clothe them in the actual skin of the serpent. Yah, uh, Waha Alahayam, the ever-living, also said, Now Adam will exist like one of ourselves acquiring knowledges of both good and evil. Therefore, it may be that he will stretch out his hand and uh, so it's almost like he's like before he was innocent, but now he's like a God, right? I mean, he could be, he could, you could almost see this in like one of those Hollywood productions or something like that, you know, where Adam now becomes evil and he wants to rule over the earth, right? He has that ability now. He can be evil. He can, but it's, it's a problem if he eats from the tree of life, right? Because they need to, uh, Allah, Allah Hayam, he's saying like, that that's a problem because we need to be able to kill this guy off if he becomes, you know, uh, it goes down that dark path. So we can't let him eat from this. So anyways, Adam will exist like one of ourselves, right? And again, we already saw the division of the light from the darkness. So there are evil uh, Ruakoth by this time. There are, that's what I think he's talking about. He could become like them. Acquiring knowledges of both good and evil. Therefore, it may be that he will stretch out his hand and take also the tree of lives and eat of it and live forever. 
Yaha Waha Alahayam, the ever living. Consequently, isn't that, isn't that is the interesting uh, contrast there that like Adam is not ever living, not yet, and but Yaha Waha is the ever living. He is the ever living Alahayam. Consequently, expelled him from the Garden of Aden in order to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he stationed at the east of the Garden of Aden, Ha Charabayam, uh, a cherubim angel, the divine watchers. That's beautiful. I love that Pamela put that there, the divine watchers. With the flaming sword to guard the path to the tree of lives. So here you see one of the watchers with a sword. And of course, in Enoch, we see that, uh, you know, people say that the, the mysteries of heaven, uh, I get told this all the time because I talk about the mysteries of heaven and, and I get these comments. People are like, no, the, the, the mysteries of heaven are evil. You're not supposed to. It's like, well, wait a second here. Not actually, uh, are swords evil? No, swords aren't evil. We see good divine watchers here with swords. Um, but it was, I think it was Azazel, uh, who was who was probably Hasatan. Uh, he, he brought swords to humanity and of course you know what made the watchers evil is that they were not instructing mankind in the uh in the torah in the commands of the father of allah hayam in the instructions of righteous living and this is the uh the i don't say cliffhanger but the tension here that we don't know at this point what adam will choose right to choose good or evil Right, and we don't know if he's going to continue in the instructions of righteous living, or uh, take you know learn evil like learn the mysteries of heaven in evil ways. All right, so this divine these divine watchers, the cherubim with the flaming sword, they guarded the path to the tree of lives. Moving on, the birth of Cain and Abel. I think we're going to do this tonight. I think this is good. I was I was planning all week reading through this like how can I how can I take them through this in two hours you know and and like I'm right on schedule I love this Adam afterwards knew Chawaha his covenant woman and she conceived and gave birth to Cain and said now watch the potential play of words here because people are gonna say see see Cain is Adam's son we'll, we'll hear this out I have been given a man from Yahawaha the ever living. She afterwards gave birth to his brother, Habel. All right. Now, I, I again, I'm, I'm not going to go through all these other texts, but it is interesting that the Aramaic Targum does say that they were twins. Uh, that uh, I know this goes against uh, the Book of Jubilees for you Jubilees fans out there. Uh, but it's it's the it's the idea that uh, Cain did not look like Adam, but Abel did. And uh, and we'll get a little bit of that in here as well. Now here it it could be it could be that um, that Abel was born years later. I don't know. I wasn't there. And Abel became a shepherd of sheep, but Cain was a cultivator of the soil. And during the harvest time, Cain brought some of the produce to the ground as an offering to Yahuwah. This is, uh, I assume, the uh, fall feast here that we just came through ourselves. It's harvest time, and they're bringing forth uh, their their sacrifice offering to um, the son of Allah Hayam. They brought their offering to Yahuwah, the ever-living, and Abel also brought of the best and the fattest of his sheep. Notice that, of course, Cain that brought some of the produce, produce, but not the best. 
And Yahuwah, the ever-living, looked favorably upon Habel and his offering, but he did not regard Cain and, uh, and his offering with favor. Cain, therefore, was very angry, and his countenance fell. Then Yahuwah, the ever-living, asked Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do right, is there not approval? And if you do not do right, sin crouches at the door and awaits you, but you should conquer it. So what Yahuwah is saying here is, is that like it's this is your responsibility you know you, it's your responsibility to make the right decisions to choose the blessing to uh bring the right kind of offering and sacrifice to me and we see this i've talked about this a lot where you know in these online communities um the same sort of spirit of Cain and Abel springs up a lot when people who maybe aren't interested in taking responsibility for themselves that aren't interested in bringing their best. Um, you know, it's, they're not able, they're not interested in, in transforming their heart, right. Using the Torah as a transformative document for themselves. And they just stare at other people and they're like, why does this guy get this? Why does that guy, you know, and why, why are they getting, you know, Yah's favor? And I'm going to, you know, start criticizing this person and making up things about them and just, I'm going to hate this guy. And you see this, the same spirit arise everywhere. And it's, it's unbelievable. I see it all the time. And here we have it. The murder of Abel. What well, happened fast when Cain was afterwards talking with his brother, Abel, and they were together in the field. Cain rose up against his brother, Abel and murdered him. Yahawaha accordingly asked uh, Cain, where is your brother, Abel? But he replied, I don't, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? This is where we get the, you know, the phrase, am I my brother's keeper? Which um, I actually, I think now it might be different in the paleo, but I've heard many times in the Masoretic that he's actually, it's a play on words on, on Abel, that he's actually like mocking his, his brother's name, uh, the, the guardian of the sheep. Right. So he's like the guardian of the sheep. And am I my brother's guardian of the guardian of the sheep? Right. It's like he, he's being very sarcastic here in how he's addressing the king. Yahawaha, the so he's in contempt of court, very clearly. He's not repenting, he's in contempt. Yahawaha, the ever living, however, answered, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Therefore, you are cursed from the ground, which has opened her mouth to take in your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall not yield up its wealth to you. You shall be a wanderer and vagabond upon the earth, or the Ha'arats. But Cain answered to Yahawaha, my punishment is heavier than I can bear. This is one of the reasons why you know many people um, say that Cain is the first Freemason, first master Mason. Of course, we see this in writings of Abraham, but we, we will see him tonight. He actually builds a city, but he chooses not to live in the city because he wanders, right? He moved, he just keeps moving. And he probably built all sorts of cities. Just kept moving and moving and moving. And that was his curse to wander. And then the Freemasons, they kind of in a way try to like reverse that curse, right? Into something that's beneficial to them. But Cain answered to Yahuwaha, my punishment is heavier than I can bear. Since you drive me today out from off the face of this land, I shall be deprived of your presence and will be a wanderer and a vagabond upon the earth. And whoever meets me will kill me. And right there, you know, obviously it's like if it's just the two brothers, now it's one brother and, and parents. 
why is he even concerned about all these other people are going to kill him? There's nobody else on the earth, right? Well, obviously that's not correct. There are other people on the earth who will try to kill him. He was at this time under the protection in this plot of land that was completely protected from all the other people of the earth. But now he has to wander amongst all these people and he's going to be cursed. That's a problem. But Yahuwah, the ever-living, replied, not so. Whoever kills Cain shall be punished sevenfold. Therefore, Yahuwah put a mark upon Cain so that he might not be attacked by anyone who met him. Well, what was the mark of Cain? It was leprosy. The mark of Cain was leprosy. And, of course, in the Bible there's that I have seen, there is there is never an account that I have seen where anyone is struck with leprosy outside of actual sin. And I'm going to make this very clear that modern leprosy, whatever leprosy is, whatever, you know, there's like a, one of the islands in Hawaii, which, you know, was popular, like a, a leprosy a colony, whatever that leprosy is, it's not the leprosy of the Old Testament. The leprosy of the Old Testament was something specifically that was, that came upon people because their sin and their, their skin would grow white. And, uh, you know, we see this with like Miriam when she tries to cause problems with uh, with Moshe, her brother. And then, boom, you know, she gets leprosy on her hand and she has to leave the camp. This is the mark of Cain that continues. Cain accordingly went out from the presence of oh, and where I'm, I'm sourcing that just so you guys know is, is a book called the Book of, of Limic of Cain. Cain accordingly went out from the presence of Yahuwah, the ever-living, and lived in a land of exile on the eastern side of Aden, where Cain knew his covenant woman. Now, you know, when we talk about the East in modern terms, like, does this really mean India? Does this mean, you know, I, I've heard so many different accounts of what the East is. It, it really, it, this is where, this is like maddening to me because I've looked at all the different, I, I can't say I've looked at all the different claims. I've looked at a lot of different claims. And if you're looking at uh, Hyperborea, you know, the North Pole being the location of Eden, then what's to the east of that? I mean, that's like the center, you know, right, of like our realm. That's the uttermost north. What's to the east of that? I, I don't I don't know. Maybe you guys can help me out with this. I've looked at this from totally different angles. Um, but anyways, he lives in the east in exile where Cain knew his covenant woman. And she conceived and gave birth to uh, Chanuwak. This would be uh, Enoch, not the not the Enoch, but we see a lot of dualism in here with the two family lineages, and uh, we see you know identical names on both sides and interesting things. And uh, there is, of course, the city of Enoch, which is uh, what I would call New Jerusalem, New Yerushalayim. But there is this city of Enoch that is built, and he built a village and named it after the name of his son. Enoch or Chanuwak. And uh, a lot of people have speculated is this city of Enoch. I mean, obviously, uh, Moshe here, when he's writing this account, guys, like this isn't, I don't, I don't believe any of this is new to the people that are reading this. Like he's taken from books. They would have come out of Egypt with a library of books. Undoubtedly, they would have had like they weren't waiting around in the wilderness for 40 years going, oh, I learned how to read. I can't wait till somebody writes a book so that I can find. Oh, Moses, he's working on it, but it's going to take him like the next 30 years or maybe before he dies and we'll finally get these books. Right. Like they had books and he's sourcing this and going, oh, you know, that city of uh, Enoch that you guys, you know, that massive city that everyone talks about that, that ancient city, Cain built that. And I, I, 
I guess we have to determine when Atlantis was. Was Atlantis pre-Diluvian, Noah's Flood, or was it pre-Creation uh, Week? Couldn't answer that. I don't know. Um, and um, also, let me point out that a lot of people now are, I want to do a whole study on this. A lot of people are looking now to uh, the Sahara region for the location of Atlantis. It, it's called like the eye of the Sahara. It's pretty, pretty freaky that it looks exactly like Plato described it. People are saying, well, that's uh, Atlantis. Well, I, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, there, there was another discovery made in Spain where they found another city that looks exactly like the eye of the Sahara telling me that it's replicated that they the ancients were building this this big these circular cities with these rings in them to for whatever purpose we don't really at this point we have no clue uh but that there could have been many of them and maybe it was stylized after atlantis i don't really know all that to say i actually believe that the one they found in africa is most likely post noah's flood which means that if that's the case, it would not be the city of Atlantis. And one of the reasons they say that is that we actually see a localized flood there, not Noah's flood, but a localized flood that went down and swept and took it out. All right. I, I didn't mean to go down this rabbit trail tonight. I apologize. But anyways, it all comes from he's building this city. And I'm, I'm saying the original audience who were handed the Torah would have read that and go, oh, yeah, we know about that ancient city. That's cool. Cain built that. Okay. And this is with all his wisdom, right? He's as the first master mason. And to uh, Ch uh, Chanuak, there was born, I'm, I'm going to butcher these names, really apologize, guys, uh, Ayarad. Uh, and Ayarad produced uh, Maka Yuaal. And Maka Yuaal produced Methusheel. Uh, and Methusheel produced Lemek. And Lemek took two women for himself. The name of the one was Ada, Adaha, and the name of the other was uh, Salaha. And Adaha gave birth to Yabel. If you guys can hear a lot of noises upstairs, I apologize. I think that's my children playing uh, Hungry Hungry Hippo up there right now. We're doing something, like playing with Legos. And the room's right above. You just hear the bang, bang, bang. It's really loud. Hopefully, you guys, it's not too loud for you guys. And his brother's name was uh, Ya'uabao. He was the originator of all those who play the kinor harp and win instruments. So it's interesting here that, um, you know, music is not evil. And yet it's originating with the sons of Cain. They're getting these mysteries of heaven. And uh, the, the fallen angels, the fallen watchers are on their side. And they're bringing them this stuff. And I, I've, I've seen a lot of people say this is proof that musical instruments are evil. And I, I kind of, you know, for a while I kind of went that way. I'm like, well, maybe that's true. I, I don't I don't believe that to be the case, um, you know, just because, you know, it was introduced through the sons of Cain, um, you know, through the watchers. Again, they, they where did the watchers bring it from, guys? They brought it from heaven. All right. He was the originator of all those who play the Kino harp and wind, wind instruments. And Salaha also gave birth to Tubal Cain. So Tubal Cain is the son of Lemek, right? The improver of every work in copper and iron, and the sister of Tubal Cain was. This is where we get Naema, but it's New New Amaha. All right. So the question I have long asked, because I would look at this and go, "This is really weird. Like, why? Why is Moshe telling us about this this lineage? They died, right? Like, you have these two lineages. We haven't got into the uh, the sons of Seth yet, but you got the sons of Seth. You got the sons of Cain." 
two lineages, only the line of Seth makes it onto the ark, right? Right? Like, so what why are we talk? Who's who's Nama? Why why would Moshe bring up Nama? What's the point of that? Well, as I've shown in other studies, is that Nama is the mother of Ham. Not the mother of, of um Shem or Japheth or Yapeth, but the mother of Ham. And so this is where Moshe, this is why Moshe is, is he's forming a family quilt here. All right. So the lineage of Cain went on after the flood. It went on through Ham, through the descendants of Ham. And of course, we'll get there. We'll get there probably, was it next week or the week after that in the Torah portions? You know, you advance pretty fast through this and we'll see how the same scene immediately after the flood is replayed from what we saw in Eden with uh, Chua and Adam and Hasatan and the forming of Cain. And then you see, instead of Cain, it's Canaan, right? Canaan is cursed. And Lamach, addressing his woman, said, Edaha and, and Salaha, I think it's Zilla in other translations, listen to my voice, women of Lamach. He's saying, you know, you're, you're, you're my wives, right? Women of Lamach. I should call my wife that sometime. Woman of Noel. <laughs> listen to my speech. For I killed a man who uh, wounded me and a youth who hurt me. If, uh, if uh, Cain had sevenfold protection, then 77 should be that of Lamech. Now, we learn in Jasher what went on here is that he, uh, this youth who hurt him, he's coming in to announce to his wives that he just killed his son, Tubal Cain. Tubal Cain has been killed. Why, does, why was Tubal Cain killed? Well, uh, let's see. I killed a man who wounded me. And... The man who wounded him, I, I think, well, he's referring to Cain here. Uh, he actually killed Cain. And now, that, of course, that's the, the reference, right? And if Cain had sevenfold protection, then 77 should be that of Lamech. Because he's like, he, he's basically coming in now. And he's like, I'm the master mason. I'm in control. This guy may have been the master. I've taken his place. I killed him. And the reason he killed his son is because his son actually... Um, Convinced, convinced him that Cain. He thought his son wasn't lying. His son was convinced that Cain was a wild animal, and so you have to ask the question. And so he brought back his bow and arrow, and shot him, killed him. And then when they went up, they're like, "That's not a wild animal. That's our grandfather Cain. What just happened?" And so he cla he claps his hands. This says in Joshua, he claps his hands, and Tubal Cain dies. Well, how in the world do you kill someone by clapping your hands? Well, the answer to that, this is what I love about extra biblical books. The answer to that comes from the book of Lemek uh, of Cain, where when he clapped his hands, uh, he had become such a master of the occult by this time, of the mysteries, that he actually had, he was in control of Leviathan itself. Okay. And Leviathan is uh this is another study I've been wanting to do for years. Leviathan is like the jaws of a Leviathan is, I believe, like the gates of Sheol, right? These are the gates that Yehusha HaMashiach uh, battered down and destroyed. And, and so he actually had mastery over death in a way, all right? And, and before the flood, they would offer their, their children to the water. 
After the flood, Nimrod is the one that put it together that the next big judgment was fire. So they started offering their children to the flames, right? But they would offer their children to Leviathan, who's in the deep. So we're seeing the connections with the, the spirit that was in the deep. Leviathan, Sheol, it's all connected. He claps his hands. Leviathan comes, kills his son, all right? Um, but anyways, he's basically like, I'm in control now. I'm the master. Um, listen to me, women. I'm taking over now. And we learn through this that this is where Naima, uh, see, who was Naima's mother? Let me look here. It was, uh, well, the sister of Tubal-Cain, and then who was the mother? Okay, so uh, uh, Salaha was the mother of Naima. And when this happened, Sulaha fled from Lemek. This is in the writings of Abraham. She fled from Lemek and hid uh, Naima among the sons of Seth. And even though she, uh, uh, Naima was cursed, meaning she probably had leprosy, she had the mark of Cain on her still. Um, basically, all of Cain's descendants would have had the mark of Cain on them. They were, they, they, they you all, like there were many men on the earth, but you knew these were, these are the sons of Cain. And she went, but she was a righteous woman and she chose, she didn't start out that way. She was actually a, a horrid woman. According to the book of Lemek of Cain, she repented. She became like the sons of Elohim. She lived a righteous life. And because of that, uh, Yahuwah uh, asked Noah to marry her as a wife. All right. I'm just I'm pointing all that out so you uh, you could see why Moshe thought to write this. I, I think that those stories were known amongst the Israelites. And they're like, oh, yeah, I see why she's in there. I get that. She's she's actually the matriarch of uh, the children of Ham. All right. The birth of Seth, or here it says Shath. Oh, no. Coming up to 20 minutes. I can do this. I can finish this. And Adam knew his... I'm having fun, though. I hope you guys are having fun, too. I, I, this is so much fun, just reading through this and talking about this. And Adam knew his covenant woman again. She gave birth to a son and named him Shath, or Seth, or Sheth, I should say. For Alahayam, she said, has given me another son in the place of Habel, who was murdered by Cain. And to now, now I, I think the first time she said uh, Yahuwah, uh, but now she says Alahayam. I, I, I just now caught that. I'd have to refer back. Maybe you guys can refer back if anyone has a document in front of them. And to Shath, a son was born, and he gave him the name of uh, Anuash. And this is this is what I told you that one part that gave me shivers when I read this, like in a good way. Like this is so beautiful. Listen to this. Men then began to call upon the name of Yahawaha, ever living. All right. So, if this is Yahusha Hamashiach, and I believe he is, they were calling upon his name all the way back with Seth. Mankind was calling upon his name. Isn't that exciting? The genealogy of mankind who was who were created as representative of Alahayam. This is the birth book of men. From the time that Alahayam created men, making them to represent Alahayam, constituting them male and female. And he did Barak uh, at them and naming them by the name Adam upon the day of their creation. Adam, when he was 130 years old, produced a representative of himself like his own shadow. That's, so we've seen that repeated there, right? Adam was made in the shadow of uh, Allah Hayam. Now we're seeing uh, 
his own shadow being uh, reproduced, uh, which we, by the way, did not see with Cain. And this is where in the Targum it says that uh, uh, the Chef had his likeness, but Cain did not, and gave him the name of Shath. And the lifetime of Adam after the birth of Shath was 800 years, during which time sons and daughters were born to him. So the whole lifetime of Adam was 930 years when he died. And again, so why didn't Moshe think to name? I, that would be interesting, right? If we knew like all the names of Adam's children, I'd like to know about them, all the boys and girls. Let's hear about it. Let's just get like a couple chapters, name like a hundred. How many did he have? 20, 30, hundred. I don't know. List them out. But he doesn't because Moshe is only listing names. He's only interested in forming a family quilt and showing you the genealogies on both sides, which come down to Noah and his wife or his two wives, actually. And Shath was 105 years old when Anu Yuash was born to him. And Shath, after the birth of Anu uh, Yuash, lived 807 years and had sons and daughters born to him. And the whole lifetime of Shath was 912 years when he died. And Anu Yuash lived 90 years when uh, Canaan was born to him. And Anu Yuash, after the birth of Canaan, lived 850 years and had sons and daughters born to him. And all the lifetime of Anu Yuash was 905 years and then died. And Canaan lived 70 years when Mahalalel was born to him. And Canaan, after Mahalalel was born to him, lived 830 years and had sons and daughters born to him. So the whole lifetime of Canaan was 910 years and he died. And Mahalalel, living until he was 65 years of age, had Yared born to him. And Mahalalel, after the birth of Yared, lived 830 years. And sons and daughters were born to him. And the whole lifetime of Mahalalel was 895 years when he died. And Yared lived until he was 162 years of age when uh uh, that would be Enoch, but Chanu Yuak was born to him. And after the birth of Enoch, uh, or Chanu Yuak, Yared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters born to him. And the whole lifetime of Yared was 962 years and he died. So I think it's really interesting that we see that in the lifetime of Seth or Sheth, the people began to call upon the name of Yahawaha. That is like so exciting to hear that they were calling upon his name back then. Well, we read in the Aramaic Targum that it was actually in Yared's lifetime that uh, that they started, ma mankind started making idols of the word of Elohim. All right, that would be the son of Allah Hayam. So we know they were already calling upon his name. Now they're starting to make idols of Yahuwah during the life of Yared. And when we read Jasher, we see that as a result of this, and this is actually talked about in the book of Colburn too. The book of Colburn talks about this massive flood that comes. This massive flood, it actually destroyed a third of the world. We know that there's Noah's flood. Don't confuse that with the flood of Yared, where a third of the earth was destroyed. And it had to do with apparently this perversion, this idolatry of making idols of, of uh, Yahuwah. All right, and uh, Chanu Yuak or Enoch lived until the age of 65 years when Methuselah was born to him. And uh, Chanuak walked with Alahayam after Methuselah had been born to him 300 years and sons and daughters were born to him. And the whole lifetime of Enoch, I'm just going to say Enoch, just so you guys know who I'm talking about, 
was 365 years, and uh, Enoch or Chanuak walked with Allahayam, and he did not die. Allahayam having taken him to himself. And Matthew, uh, Methuselah, Matthew Yuashalaha, having lived until he was 187 years of age, had Lamech born to him. And Methuselah, after Lamech had been born to him, lived 782 years. Now, again, see, we have we have multiple Enochs. We have multiple Lamechs. Isn't that interesting? A lot of dualism going on here. Having had sons and daughters born to him in the whole lifetime of Methuselah was 969 years, and he then died. And I think he died uh, the year of the flood. I think it was. It was like within... I'm a little rusty on that. I think it talks about it in Jasher. Like he died within like a week. I think um, I think what happened was, don't quote me on this. I could be wrong, but uh, Yahuwah gave like an, an extended like seven days of mourning or something like that for the world to repent uh, after he was dead, and then he flooded the world. All right, and Lamech lived until he was 182 years of age when a son was born to him, to whom he gave the name of there it is Noah or Nuke saying, he comforts in our labor and in the trouble of our hands upon the land which was denounced by Yahuwah ever living. And Lamech, after Nuk or Noah was born to him, lived until the age of 595 years, sons and daughters being born to him. And the whole lifetime of Lamech was 777 years when he died. And Nuk was, hopefully I'm saying that right, Nuk for Noah. Could be Nuch, I'm really sure. And uh, let's just stay safe tonight. Let's let's stay within the within the lanes here. And Noah was 500 years old when Sham, Ham, and Yapeth were born to him. All right. Uh, because there's not verses on this, uh, I'm going to well, I'm going to read through this because I can't remember exactly where I'm supposed to the cut off tonight for our Torah portions. We got 10 minutes left. We are doing this. This is awesome. I'm gonna make this. This is, and I say that because this is like the hardest portion in all the Torah portions, as far as I'm concerned, to get through it. The corruption of mankind. But when corrupt men increased upon the surface of the earth, and sons and daughters were born to them, then the sons of the Alahayam admired the daughters of men who were beautiful, and they took to themselves women from all they desired. So. Uh, the picture I see happening here, most people don't think about this way. And they call me out on it, but I'm like, no, really think about this. Like when, when it's saying that they took women from all they desired, uh, they're like murdering the husbands. They're coming by force. They're like, that, that covenant woman of yours, I want her for myself. And if you're going to stand in my way, well, I guess you're going to meet my sword from heaven which they didn't have swords yet at this time. So, I mean, it would have been a total massacre. I mean, they're coming down with these heavenly weapons and it would have been a massacre. Consequently, Yahuwah, the ever-living, declared, my Ruach shall not call out to man forever, for he is sinful flesh, but they shall have 120 years. Let me just throw out here the, let's look back at this. And we see the, we're already seeing the interplay between the father and the son, all right? It doesn't say the sons of Yahuwah, right? It's the sons of Allahayam. So the they are the sons of the Most High, these watchers coming down, and uh, and so and then we see we we see the Father and the Son working. We often see like 
the father doing one thing and then the son will say another, right? Always in accordance with each other, of course, always in ikad with each other. But consequently, consequently Yahuwah, the ever-living, declared, my Ruach shall not call out to man forever, for he is sinful flesh, but they shall have 120 years. I'm sorry, that's a little blocked out there from, uh, there you go, and you can see it now. The the uh, Nephilim, those are the Nephilim. Uh, I think this this might be next week's uh, Torah portion, but whatever, we'll repeat this next week if um, if uh, if I'm going ahead. The Nephilim were upon the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of the Alhaim had intercourse with the daughters of men, and they bore them mighty men who were men of renown of very long life. And Yahweh, the ever living, saw that the sin of Adam increased upon earth, and it grieved his heart. And Yahweh therefore said, I will sweep away Adam, whom I created from off the surface of the earth, from man to beast and reptile and birds of the skies, for I regret that I made them. But Nuk, or Noah, found favor in the presence of Yahweh, the ever-living. And uh, I think that's where it cuts off right there. I think that's it. Again, there's not verse numbers in here. Uh, we'll pick this up next week. So coming back uh, next Friday, 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. And I want to remind everyone, those who maybe weren't here in the beginning, we're going to be going over a couple things. Just if you missed out in the beginning of this recording, if you're live, uh, we are. Uh, this is Pamela's translation of the Paleo-Hebrew. It's a beautiful translation. She put a lot of work into this. So we are selling this uh, right now. It is on my Patreon page. My Patreon is listed under the videos. Every video, you can go there. You pick a PDF file up for $10. She's working on getting the entire Torah made uh, translation from the Paleo. That's not going to – I think she's considering at that time actually having the Paleo with her translation right underneath so you could actually back it up and look at what she's – you know, you can – have your quarrel with you know the interpretation but at least it's there the paleo and i think within the next year she'll have that done and she does beautiful work i'm looking forward to and we'll we'll publish it at that time but this is one of the ways you can support her for her uh work on this um so there's that for those of you who want to follow along next week uh though i obviously i show this on the screen here but you can you know read it on the side or prepare or whatever read it afterwards and then um after this 9 p.m that's six minutes from now i'm gonna go ahead and close shop here but we are going to meet over at discord at the unexpected cosmology again link under this video you can come over sign up um, if you're not watching this live please come over throughout the week sign in you can come in and be ready to have a conversation with us this is a time when i can connect with you guys uh, you guys can i'll we talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. I'll be happy to listen. I, I love just listening to, you know, I love conspiracies and all that kind of stuff. I love hearing uh, what's in the news and the conspiratorial world talking about it. I'll also answer any questions you guys have. Uh, if I can, I'll try my best. But anyways, my uh, opportunity to connect with all of you and looking forward to it. So Shabbat Shalom one last time. I uh, hope you guys enjoy your Sabbath. Get plenty of rest. And uh, we'll do this again next week.